it really is our privilege to have Dr. Saunders come and hang out with us today. Um, here's a couple of things about Dr. Saunders. And if you don't know what we're doing, we've got a, this little mini-series. We wrapped up the book of Colossians. We will be going into the book of Habakkuk. Mm, that's going to be good, <laughs> right? Everybody was like, oh my gosh, I have no idea where to find that in the Bible. Okay, none of us do, but now you have three weeks to figure out how to get to Habakkuk in your Bible. Uh, but we'll jump into that series next. So we're doing a four-week mini-series right in the middle on just anxiety, depression, and what does mental health look like. And so we've invited Dr. Saunders to come and speak to us. Why Dr. Saunders? Well, here's why. Uh, Dr. Saunders has an undergrad from Auburn <laughs> University, collective booze across the room, um, under degree, undergrad from there. He's got a master's and doctorate from uh, Georgia in the School of uh, Professional Psychology, completed his internship at UAB in the Department of Psychiatry, um, has been a psychologist for the past 25 years, and is the founder of Wellspring Christian Clinic in Birmingham, Alabama. He has a lot to say. Um, us and our staff don't know what to say. So uh, it's a great privilege to have Dr. Saunders come. Um, Dr. Saunders, if you would come on up. Born and raised in Birmingham. Uh, the Lord saved him in 1991. Married for 23 years. Four kids. Three daughters. 21, 18, and 12. And one son. Uh, 16. Mm -hmm. Glad and I'm still here. alive. <laughs> Glad you are here, brother. One more time. Welcome, Dr. Saunders. Thank you. Thank you guys very much. Uh, we're good? All right. Man, I'm excited to be here. This is a lot of fun for me. Uh, as you can imagine, being a psychologist, I don't get to talk in church a lot. Uh, they kind of keep me in the back room, uh, especially now. I think that part's getting worse. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of a, it's sort of going along that same line as I was driving over here this morning. Uh, it's incredible that we're even talking about anxiety and depression in church. I mean, you guys may not remember this, but early in my career, that was pretty taboo. Uh, I mean, let me, let me raise this a little bit here. There we go. Uh, because mainstream Christian thinking was that good Christians don't suffer with things like anxiety and depression. Uh, because Jesus is supposed to have fixed that. And so you're not supposed to be broken like that. Um, nobody would have been free to admit that they struggled after Jesus, you know. Uh, so um, I have some great news for you today. Uh, Jesus will fix anxiety and depression. But these are just symptoms of the real problem because the real, broken, the real brokenness is us. Um, one day when I've left this body and this life and gone home to be with the Lord, I'm not going to struggle with pain or sadness or anxiety anymore. Uh, I'm not a preacher, but can somebody give me an amen? I've always wanted to do that. Um, okay. As I was sitting out in the parking lot, I saw a lot of young families coming in. So I kind of want to tell a little illustration here that I think um, you guys will relate to. Um, as I said, as you said, I have four kids. Uh, my youngest is 12 now, so this isn't super relevant to me anymore. But man, did we live in this world early on. There would be times where we'd put the kids to bed, and, uh, and suddenly someone would start to cry. And so I'd go up there and, and go in, you know, into the dark room, and 
Um, they'd be laying there crying, and I'd sit on the bed and, and you know, maybe scratch their back or, or talk to them and say, what's going on? And they always said, Daddy, I'm afraid. And usually it was something about the dark, you know, afraid of the dark, or maybe something in the closet or under the bed. Or, um, and, you know, and I, was, I was thinking, in the 20-something years of the child-raising years that I had, I never turned the light on. Never. Uh, I always left it dark, but I'm sitting there on the bed with them. But I never flicked on the light. But yet, my presence with the kid always seemed to fix the problem. And some of you guys can relate to that. Um, so, the child's problem wasn't really a dark problem. Uh, or otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to fix that because I'm not the angel of light. Okay, But my presence seemed to chase their fears away. And after a while, I could go back out and go to bed myself. Um, so th- just think about this principle. The presence of the parent drives away fear of the dark because of the child's faith in the parent. They think that you're bigger than whatever was bothering them. So the closer the parent, the less the fear. And the farther the parent, the greater the fear. Hmm. Well, you know where I'm going with that. Uh, let's take this illustration up to the next level. We're the children. God's our Father. Um, the further away He is, the more we're going to fear. The closer He is, the less we fear. Okay? So kind of keep that in mind as we go through this. Um, you know, my today reality, my human problem today, is that in this moment, I'm stuck in this body, I'm in this world, in this life, and they're all broken by sin. So yes, the Lord has redeemed us, and He's restored that relationship. Um, but, but sometimes... Uh, sin keeps God pretty far down the hall, um, sometimes miles down the street. Um, and so because of our brokenness, we don't really fully see ourselves and God clearly. So what I'm going to be talking about today is how do we rise above those broken views? And, you know, I'm blind as a bat without my reading glasses and my contacts. So this is a metaphor I like to talk about in my office a lot. You know, the way I see things, okay? If my glasses are scratched and, and a bunch of fingerprints on them, I don't see too well. Um, that's our condition in brokenness, okay? So if you want to think of a good metaphor, you know, it, the cleaner these are, the better you see, all right? Um, okay, here's some more good news. We don't have to just sit and wait this thing out and sit and soak in our pain of sadness and anxiety and all that. We can grow, uh, and as we grow, our views of God change, our views of ourselves change, and our views of other people change. Uh, let's real quickly shoot over to Romans twelve two. You don't have to turn there. You probably know this one. Um, he says, don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Okay? So that's what we'll be talking a lot about today. Uh, how do we renew our mind and become whole and learn to live in peace with ourselves and other people in God? So, um, as Troy said, I'm, I'm primarily going to be focused on anxiety today. Uh, unfortunately for you guys, I'll be back next week to talk about depression. Okay, but today let's stick with anxiety. How big of a problem is this thing, anxiety? Well, some people have, have referred to our time period as the age of anxiety. Uh, because anxiety is by far and away the biggest problem in the mental health world right now. It is the number one mental illness in America. Um, Far surpassing depression, really. Over 40 million American adults, 18 and over, 
have an anxiety disorder. Okay, now that's 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 not just having anxiety, and we're going to talk about that a little more in a minute. But this is people who have an anxiety disorder. Okay, so for those doing the math, that's about eighteen percent, slightly more than that. Um, it's even worse with teenagers, so thirteen to eighteen. I see a lot of, of people probably in that. Uh, not so much. Uh, well, anyway, um, you can tell them later. Twenty-five uh, percent of American teenagers, thirteen to eighteen, have an anxiety disorder now. Now, that number used to be a lot smaller. It used to be about 8% before the introduction of the iPhone. Uh, about 2007, I think, or somewhere in there was when that came out, and, and it connected us to this world of the Internet. And, you know, you know I'm, a, I'm, I'm not down on the iPhone. I'm, I'm a fan. Um, but what it's done to our teenagers is pretty incredible. Since 2007, anxiety in teenagers has gone up 25% a year. Okay, epidemic rise. Forget about the coronavirus. Um, anxiety is the new problem for your teenagers. Um, so, you know, I'm not a mathematician, but 8%, 25% a year. Now we're at 25%. Of, if I go into a high school, one-fourth of them have an anxiety problem. If there was a mic, I would drop it at this point. Um, okay, treatment costs. Did you know... That, that Americans spend $50 billion a year on treating anxiety. And only half of that goes to me. So, uh, so anyway, it's a big problem. Well, what is anxiety? Um, I want to talk for a minute about uh, what it is because anxiety is different than fear and it's different than worry. So to kind of explain it, let me talk about fear first. Um, fear... And this is going to sound kind of interesting to you guys. Fear is normal, but unpleasant. Okay, it's an emotion that, that is, it, it should be normal. Now, there's times when it's not. Um, but it's a normal, but unpleasant emotion that is caused by a belief or a perception. I like to say words like that. Cognitive belief, perception, thoughts. All those are kind of the same word. Okay. Um, so, it's a normal, but unpleasant emotion that is caused by the belief that someone or something here and now is dangerous or threatening. Okay, so uh, if I'm afraid of dogs and a dog came running in right at me, then that dog is here and now in front of me. And if I believe that it's dangerous, then I'm going to have a fear response. Okay, anybody heard of the fight-flight response? Probably covered that in high school somewhere. Um, what that, what's going on is when, when my brain perceives a threat to me, then I get, um, you know, technically the sympathetic nervous system. Don't worry about that. There won't be a pop test on this stuff. Um, I get an adrenaline release that turns me into super owl, okay? So I can literally run faster. I'm stronger. And my, my eyesight is better, which is awesome for me. Uh, my ears hear better. Um, I am a machine of escaping and fighting, okay? The fight-flight response. Um, so God designed fear to be useful and healthy and life-preserving, okay? Help me escape, jump, my dodge reflex, all those kinds of things. Uh, fear is very specific and constructive when it's correctly, when it's, when it's appropriate, okay? Um, because it triggers the fight-flight response that is God's design. And I want you to think about it like this. The fight-flight response is the, is the most protective thing God ever put in your body other than himself. 
Okay, so the fight-flight response is great. You would be dead without it. Um, think about, um, just as an example, imagine that you're out in the woods and you, and you hear a rattlesnake. Uh, I've been alive 54 years. I've never seen one live myself in the woods, but uh, I've seen them in the zoo. <laughs> Thank you, God. Let's keep it that way. Uh, okay, without a fear response, you're dead. You know, that, seeing that rattlesnake, I can jump, I, I could jump up on the four-wheeler or something. I, I could probably climb a tree with no branches. Uh, that'd be kind of funny to see. So you see how fear is very useful. It's very specific. It's life-preserving. It allows me to change quickly and get away. Now, anxiety is a lot different. Anxiety is an abnormal emotional response, okay? Fear was a normal emotional response to fear. Anxiety is an abnormal emotional response to fear. Uh, It's caused by a belief, again, that someone or something in the past or the future is dangerous or threatening. Okay? Hear the difference? Fear was 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 a normal emotional response when something right in front of me here and now is dangerous. Anxiety is an abnormal emotional response when... It ain't no here and now. It's, it's something in the past or something in the future that I'm worried about. Um, you know, as my granddad would say, you're all dressed up and know where to go. When you have a fight-flight response and there's nothing in front of you to deal with, what are you going to do with all that? Well, it's going to feel like you're coming unglued. Your heart's racing. You've got muscle uh, you know, tension. Your breathing's changing. Well, that's, if that was happening to you right now, that's completely useless. But it's terribly uncomfortable. That's anxiety. So, different than fear, anxiety is not specific, so it's generalized. It's not useful for anything. It's not healthy, and it's actually life-taking. It's not life-preserving. Anxiety is life-taking. It debilitates us. It paralyzes us. It decreases our action. You're frozen. Um, the only action that anxiety increases is your worry action, which is a behavior, which is a great segue into the next thing here. So we've got fear, we've got anxiety. Um, now let's talk about, well, one more thing about anxiety that I want to say. Anxiety causes the fight-flight response to always be on. How terrible is that? Okay. Worry, on the other hand, is a behavior so fear and anxiety are emotions. Worry is a behavior. Uh, and it almost always accompanies anxiety. So you get anxiety and worry. Because you've got to do something with that fight-flight response. Uh, but worry is sort of an extended, focused attention on something. A good word would be rumination. You, know, you ruminate on something. Um, anxiety is a mental form of control. Think about that for a second. When I'm, when I'm worried about... I'm sorry. Yeah, worry is a mental form of control. When I'm worried about something, I'm reaching out with my Jedi mind skills trying to prevent or control some kind of situation to make sure it's okay. You know, um, my, my daughter, one of my daughters drove to see my other daughter in college yesterday afternoon. And uh, I was tempted to worry about that a little bit. You know, her car had, had some issues. And, uh, and then I thought, that doesn't do me any good. What am I doing? I'm reaching out, trying to control that car and make it drive right. That was totally useless. Plus, I had a talk to prepare for, so I was focused. Uh, okay, so you see the difference between fear, anxiety, and worry. Um, we all get anxious from time to time, okay, because of that broken human thing. 
So occasional anxiety is not unusual, and it's not even necessarily treatment-worthy. You don't necessarily need to come see me unless your feelings of anxiety are extreme, or they last for more than a month, uh, or they're interfering with your life or your job or something like that. Then you may have an anxiety disorder. Ooh, what does that mean? Uh, well, now I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this. Certainly question and answer time later if you want, you've got something specific to ask me. But um, what forms does anxiety take? And what is an anxiety disorder? Well, uh, you, there's some common things you've probably heard of, like panic attacks or OCD, post-traumatic stress disorder, social anxiety, or phobias, things like that. Those are all types of anxiety. Um, a panic attack is this sudden, unexpected, overwhelming feeling of fear and and without needing it at the time, okay? And your heart would race, you'd feel shaky and sweaty and lightheaded, and your breathing would be coming fast, and that's a panic attack. And, and when people have a panic attack, they're afraid that something on the inside is wrong. And maybe they're dying or something, heart attack or losing control, something like that. That's a panic attack. Generalized anxiety is when you just constantly worry and you're tense and anxious all the time about a variety of things. It's not anything specific. It, it could be just generally you're a worrier. Um, if that becomes a problem for months, then that's generalized anxiety. Phobias, you probably all know what that is. That's, you, know, you can have a dog phobia or a bridge phobia or a dark phobia or needle phobia. Uh, it's a very specific thing that you're afraid of. That if you bring that to me, I'm going to have a fight-flight response about it. Okay? Um, and then there's illness anxieties and, you know, people who are afraid of their health. You know, headache means a tumor. You know, that would be an example of an illness anxiety. And that would maybe affect me for months. Um, we could go on and on and on. But um, you're familiar with OCD and probably post-traumatic stress disorder following a traumatic event. Those are all anxiety disorders, okay? Uh, but like I say, uh, most of the anxiety that, that the people in here have, well, less, you know, let me help the math here. Uh, 82% of us in this room have sort of an occasional anxiety that's not really treatment-worthy, okay? Um, what are, but one thing I want you to think about, all of these things I'm mentioning, they all have one thing in common. Every one of those people perceives a threat, okay? And they're having a fight-flight response to deal with it. Um, we just give it a different name depending on what the specific thing is that they fear. Are they a worrier? Generalized anxiety. Are they having panic attacks? Panic disorder. Are they struggling with repeating things or cleaning things? Maybe some OCD. So we just give it a different name. They all have that one thing in common. There's a perception of threat. Okay. I hope that was uh, fairly clear enough for you there. Um, So what causes anxiety? We know what anxiety is now. What causes it? Well, in my opinion, I'm going to make this real simple. Uh, in my opinion, anxiety is always, 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 always caused by a wrong perception. Okay? Um, if I perceive that something is a threat to me, then my brain is going to trigger a fight-flight response. Okay? And as I said, this is a perfect mechanism for safety. Um, and I'm supposed to use the fight-flight to cope with it. But what if it's not real? What if I misperceive it? What if I thought... Uh, that this microphone was an intruder trying to hurt me. Well, my fight-flight response is going to be completely useless. I'm going to knock this thing down and break it, and then I'm going to have to pay for it. So it didn't help me at all. (laughs) Sorry. 
You'd think I could come up with a better example than that one. Okay. Um, so, like I was saying, you're all dressed up and nowhere to go. If the perception of threat is not real, uh, then it just feels terrible. Okay. All right. Now, um, I want to pull out the whiteboard. Ooh. I'm actually going to come over here. I got this last night, so this is all kind of new. Uh, I'm hoping they don't have any technical problems here. Da-da, look at there, flips around. Okay, now I'm going to ask you not to look at this side yet, okay? <laughs> I'm not sure how to do that. Uh, you know, it was, it was too late in the evening, and I was thinking, you know, did I get a piece of poster board? You know, what do I do here? I don't know. Uh, but anyway, and I didn't want to take the time to write it again because then I thought, man, I'm going to misspell it and then look like an idiot. So, so I just thought I would do this. Can everybody read that? See, if I, if I knew how to use technical stuff, then I could. Uh, okay, what this says is abandonment, insufficiency, uncertainty, and pain and suffering. And since this doesn't exist, we're not going to talk about that for now. You don't even see that. Okay. Uh, We're talking about anxiety is always perception-based, okay? It's always wrong perception-based. Well, these are are four categories that I think summarize the source of everybody's anxiety, okay? So these are four things that we're all afraid of, we all hate. Let's take a look at them. Uh, The first one is abandonment. if I feel, you know, I am afraid of abandonment. This is a perception of isolation and rejection and aloneness and vulnerability. Can you all see that over there? Okay, okay. Um, insufficiency is a perception of being powerless and incapable. Not good enough, not smart enough, not strong enough. We hate that. Uncertainty, boy, this, is, this one's probably number one. The perception that the outcome is unknown, uh, and we all assume that if it's unknown, it's going to be bad. Nobody likes that. Um, I prefer to watch a game that I already know the score to. <laughs> can somebody give me an amen? <laughs> because I can relax. You don't have to worry about it. I know, of course, if you're an Alabama fan, you don't ever have to worry about it, right? See, being an Auburn fan, it really helps me grow in my character. <laughs> I have to deal with this every week. Okay, yeah. Okay, pain and suffering. You could say it makes me a stronger person, right? Okay, pain and suffering. Man, do we hate that one. That's the perception of endless and pointless suffering. Oh, my goodness. Negative consequences, humiliation, failure, death. Oh, you see how these may be, these may cover it all, possibly. These four simple categories may cover all the sources of our anxiety. Um, But imagine that if our perceptions were correct. Let's say that I really uh, was being abandoned. Then my fight-flight response would help me with that, okay? Um, so we would effectively use the fight-flight response to cope with all of these situations if it happened. You know, pain and suffering, that's a part of life. And, and, and if it's real, um, then the fight-flight response is, is enabling me to deal with it. But most of the time, our beliefs and perceptions are incorrect about these four things, okay? 
Um, and our fight flight response can't help us. It only hurts. So I believe that the source of our wrong perceptions about this stuff is deeply spiritual. Deeply spiritual. Uh, more specifically, I believe that our anxieties are rooted in wrong beliefs, wrong perceptions, doubts about God himself. Okay? So now you can look at the other side. Uh, I know this is super exciting. Okay. So, the reason I drew these up here like this is because I like having a mobile mic, man. I don't, this is awesome. I can just walk around. You can still hear me? I'm getting old. Okay. Um, I wrote these here because I want you to see that the common threats, these categories where we feel threatened, are connected to things about God. So, for the first part here, I felt pretty good about being able to spell not, you know, so I was going to risk that today. Uh, Abandonment, my fear of being abandoned is connected to whether God is omnipresent or not. My fear of being insufficient and not powerful enough is connected to whether God is powerful. Um, My uncertainty about the future is connected to whether God is omniscient. I'm going to define these in just a second, but I'm enjoying drawing these lines. So just be with um, Pain and suffering, my fear of that, how much I hate that, is connected to whether God is good. So, you know, these three, Troy's probably told you guys, God has some attributes, and we call them the omnis. Omnipresent, He's always here. Omnipotent, omnipotent, He's always powerful. Omniscient, to me that looks like almost the word science. So all-knowing, God is all-knowing. He knows everything. He knows the future. God is good. Does God love me unconditionally? Okay, so let's, let's imagine that you believe that God is not omnipresent. What does that mean? Well, that means that the results are up to me. Wait, no, hold on. That means that he's abandoned me. He's given up on me. I'm all alone. It's all up to me. I've got to sink or swim. If I believe that God is not omnipotent, then the results are up to me. And, you know, I, I know that I am very limited. Uh, I'm going to be overwhelmed. It's more than I can bear. God isn't powerful enough to save me. Um, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is David and Goliath. And you all know how this goes. David was a teenage boy at this time, and he's going out to bring some bread to the Israelites. They're fighting the Philistines, and they're standing in kind of a weird battle strategy, but they're standing there in this valley. The Israelites are on one side, the Philistines are on the other, and every morning Goliath is coming out, and he's yelling at them and challenging them and saying, Bring your champion out, one-on-one. If I beat him, we got you. If you beat me, then you win. Um, And the Israelites... You know, I'm not sure what the average height of your typical Israelite was, but I'm thinking it was less than eight feet tall. So uh, the Israelites were looking at their own height compared to Goliath, and they were shaking in their boots, buddy. They were afraid because that difference was massive. David comes along. David's even shorter than them because he's a little boy. But he sees Goliath compared to God. I can't even reach high enough. And David was so focused on that difference between his God and this height of this mongrel Philistine that he walked out with boldness. You know, 
uh, are my problems bigger than God? Or do I really think that God is omnipotent? Um, another thing, God is omniscient. You know, what if, what if God's not omniscient? Then his plan is bad. This plan's not going to work out for me. He's unaware of my circumstances. Or what if, what if I don't think God is good? He doesn't care if I get hurt. He's not concerned about my safety or joy. Um, you see that the effect, if I, have the, if, if I have wrong beliefs about God, if I doubt these attributes of God, uh, it's devastating because then truly I am exposed and I'm vulnerable. If I got any weaknesses at all, it's just a matter of time before I get overwhelmed. Because um, I got to be the three omnis. And I know I'm not. Um, or I got to rely on other people to be that for me, to be my identity, to be my source of encouragement. Or I got to hope that circumstances work out for me. Life's got to always be smooth. Um, or things, you know, I can put my confidence in things. More things, more happy. That don't work. Um, if the focal point of my life becomes me, then I'm going to head into, I mean, it's just a, it's a slippery slope, man. I'm right down in here before I even know it. So how do we overcome this anxiety problem? Well, uh, if anxiety is caused by incorrect perceptions, then we got to correct them with the truth. So most of this is, like Paul said, the renewing of my mind. So we've got to start with our deeply rooted wrong beliefs. Where's my eraser? Here we go. Uh, if we can fix the root, then the fruit of the tree is going to be peace, which is the opposite of anxiety. I don't know if anybody knew that, but... I think that's technically true. Um, so let's get rid of that for a second. Now let's talk about what this would do here. If I, if I know that God is omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, and good, let's talk about the first one. God is omnipresent, ever-present, constantly with me. You guys all know Psalm 23. It's a great one. Or Psalm 139 where he says, Where can I go from you, God, whether I go to the depths or the heights? The far side of the earth, you're always with me. Um, God never takes his eyes off of me. Now, sometimes that's, and I wish that wasn't true. But man, how reassuring is that? That God is always with me. Um, but when I take my eyes off of him, he seems to disappear. You remember the child in the bed story? The, the second I take my eyes off of him, he seems to disappear. Peter walking on the water is a great example of that. Uh, you know, Peter, this guy's a professional fisherman. He's seen a storm before, okay? So, but, you know, the Bible describes this perfect storm. But here goes Peter. He's walking. He's headed towards Jesus. He's totally focused. Man, he's doing something he ain't ever done before. Walking on water. And then it says, suddenly, Peter noticed the wind and the waves. I think that's the biggest understatement in the Bible. Um, but he, he noticed the wind and the waves. And he started to sink immediately because he took his eyes off of Jesus. And then the Bible says he called out to Jesus and immediately Jesus was with him. And then they go back to the boat. But it doesn't say that Jesus carried him. So I'm assuming that Peter found his water walking skills again. Because he was focused on Jesus. Well, that's easy, Al. Jesus had his hand. Yeah. One day that's going to be true, for sure. In a real sense. Praise the Lord. Um, Worry. One thing about worry is it creates my own personal hell. One thing we know about hell is hell is a place where God is not. Hell, the Bible says that hell is a place where you're separate from God. Well, when I worry about an event that doesn't happen, let's say I'm worried that uh, 
that a bunch of rattlesnakes are going to come running in the back of this door. Or not, not running, they don't do that. Slithering. Uh, uh, well, that ain't happening right now. Okay? But in my mind, man, I got that imaginary thing going. Well, God doesn't live in my imaginary world. God's real. So if I want to go there in that little weird place in my head where I'm imagining strange things that aren't happening, well, God's not going to come into that little imaginary world. God invites me into the real world. Okay? So, don't, so when I worry, I create this place of separation from God, in a sense. Okay? And it's hellish. So let me ask you, do you really believe that God is omnipresent? Do you really believe that? Ponder that one. I hope that I can leave you guys with a couple of nuggets today to really think about. Number two, God is, is, omnipre- God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful, in total control. He's sovereign. You know, God owns everything. He controls everything. He provides everything. Um, my job is to be a faithful steward of the things God has given me, my children, or gifts or talents or weaknesses. That's my job. I'm a manager. God's job is, is the owner of all things. He does all the results. You know, the score on the scoreboard. If you're the quarterback, you can throw it, but you can't catch it, and you don't play defense. God is the owner of all things. Therefore, it's his job to be responsible for the results. Okay? If I get all caught up in the results, man, I get anxious. I worry about things that are above my pay grade. God's God, and I'm a man. I got to remember that. When I try to be God, I get overwhelmed because I'm not qualified. I'm omni-weak. I'm omni-stupid. I can't even control my own kids sometimes. I have nothing to fear because God is omnipotent. Do you really believe that God is omnipotent? Next one, God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. His plan is best. You know, He knows exactly where I've been, where I am now, where I'm going. That's for me, man. I, I get lost without a GPS. I have no clue. <laughs> you're coming out here, Troy said, you're going to keep going. You're going to feel like you're going out in the middle of nowhere. And I was like, well, you know, based on what he said, it really wasn't that bad. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's a good thing for GPS. Of course, it was kind of a straight shot. But, uh, but from God's perspective, I'm still on plan A. Now, this may be an interesting thing. I'm going to let Troy clean up the mess from some of the theological things I'm going to throw out to you all today. Um, from God's perspective, I'm on plan A still. Okay. Now, in my perspective, I'm on plan double Z. The decisions I've made, the doors I've gone through. and it, Man, I, you know. Looking back, I'm like, wow, what a pathway this has been. But from God's point of view, think about this. God knows the day, He knew the day, the moment you were born. He knows the moment that you're going to die. Well, if you know the two endpoints, you got the middle. Okay? God knows what your tomorrow is going to be like. We don't know, but we're not supposed to know. That's, not, that's above my pay grade. If I knew everything God knows, then I would make the same decisions God makes. Mm, that's a good one. Let me say it a different way. God always gives me what I would have asked for if I would known everything he knows. Everything. And I know all of y'all are thinking about the worst problem in your life right now. And yet God is saying, Al, I'm going to give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything I, knows, everything I know. So God, you're telling me that the, the biggest problems in my life were designed to be good for me? Yeah. Ooh. Out. And so, God, you're telling me that I would have asked you for that? 
Yeah. We're going to talk about that next week. So you've got to come back. For okay. Um, sorry to load up your inbox there, Troy, with that. But, you know, oh, well. Oh, well. Do you really believe that God is omniscient? Do you really believe that? Last one. God is good. Uh, he loves me unconditionally. You know, God gives you food and lifespan and shelter and clothing. Matthew 6. Uh, um, God does care if I get hurt. But more importantly, he wants me to grow. He's going to use that stuff to refine me. Matthew 7, 9 through 11. Good earthly fathers don't give stones for bread or snakes for fish. And if a good earthly father can do that, well, God's a perfect father. Um, suffering is redemptive, okay? But it always has a purpose, always. Even when I don't understand why. Here's something I want you to think about. Just because suffering doesn't make sense to me doesn't mean that it doesn't make sense to God. As a parent, you know that's true. When was the last time your kids wanted to go get a shot at the doctor's office? Never. Or, you know, they'd prefer ice cream and french fries for every meal. Um, But, Dad, man, why don't you give me those vegetables? Uh, Suffering, uh, that doesn't make sense to them. It makes sense to me. Well, that does take it up a level. Just because it doesn't make sense to me that I'm going through pain doesn't mean it doesn't make sense to God. Actually, and we'll talk about this next week, but some of the best things in my life came because of the worst things in my life. Do you really believe God is good? Do you really believe He loves you? Okay, so that's step one, is uh, remembering who God is. By the way, we're talking about how do we overcome anxiety. Step one, remember who God is. Step two, let's remember who I am. Let's remember who we are. Who are we? Well, uh, this means placing our security and our identity in God rather than ourselves and other people in our achievements or our weaknesses or material things. You know, I like to call all those little things like power and money and, and, and jobs and things like that. I like to call them little G gods. You know, they're created things. You know, uh, but boy, are they easy to worship. But they make terrible gods. You know, God made all that stuff. God made everything. And it's, it's incredible to enjoy it. But man, if you try to worship it, it's going to sour in your mouth. It'll let you down. Um, if you place your identity in a little G God, your security can be totally taken away, just like that. We saw that happen in March of 2020. Um, I don't know if, if the coronavirus affected anyone's jobs in here, but man, didn't see that coming. When, did, if, if I had told you in February of 2020 that you wouldn't see a movie in a movie theater for a year, would you believe me? Would you have bet me 100 bucks on that? I made a lot of money that year. Just kidding. Um, I didn't know it either. Uh, Okay, identity. God isn't just God. He's my God. He's my God. And because of this, my identity, who I am, is received. It's not achieved. Okay? I can't achieve. I can achieve it momentarily. But, man, then the guy who's a little bit faster, stronger, smarter takes it away next week. But I want my identity to be stable. Well, it is. Because your identity is received. Who you are is, is set. As Paul talks about in Corinthians, the verdict on him is already in. You know, the courtroom is God's courtroom. The verdict is in. You're not guilty. You've been redeemed. You're dearly loved by the creator of the universe. That's who you are. 
Step three. So we got to deal with this anxiety. Remember who God is. Remember who I am. Whose I am. Uh, third, we need to refocus from ourselves to other people. Uh, in John, 1 John 4.18, he says, There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So you can think of love as the opposite of fear and anxiety. Uh, since, uh, but since anxiety is so inward focused, you know, so self-protective, um, I can drive out anxiety by getting my focus off of myself onto others. And it, but I can't do it unless my cognitive part has already been fixed. Okay? So we're into the, the third thing here about getting my focus off myself onto others. That's a behavioral step. Okay? The first two were more cognitive and belief and perception oriented. Um, for example, this works pretty well when you're treating social anxiety because you know social anxiety is when if I was afraid of of doing something stupid and you guys were going to make you know going to judge me, uh, then I would certainly never be standing here. Um, but if someone's socially anxious, we try to help them learn how to be a better active listener to other people. So it's not necessarily about what they say or whether they say something impactful or funny, but it's 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 how do they teach them to understand other people? It takes away the anxiety. God, uh, Jesus commanded us to love one another, okay? Uh, and he wasn't just saying that just so we'd have a, a nicer community. Part of, well, that works too, but um, when, I, when my focus is to love other people, I'm not thinking about myself nearly as much. And, but see, I don't have to because of the truths about God. Um, there's a great book by a guy named Tim Keller called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And then he says, there's freedom in forgetting myself and focusing on loving others. And he has this little sort of a phrase he says a lot. He says, the world wants you to think more of yourself. You know, all about me, 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 me. Got to be powerful in me. And, and then this sort of twisted version of Christianity, which the Bible doesn't teach, says that I'm supposed to think less of myself like the lowly worm. You know, I'm, I'm terrible. Um, the Bible teaches not to think more of myself or less of myself, but to think of myself less often. If you'd asked Jesus how his self-esteem was hanging, he would have said, hadn't thought about that today. And he was God, okay, so that's easier. But uh, you, see, you see the principle there, thinking about ourselves less often. Step four, so we remembered who God is, we remember who we are, we refocus from ourselves to other people outward, okay. Now we've got to move forward. Um, there's a verse in Philippians. Uh, this is kind of long. You guys could probably quote it. Let me try to read through it real quick. He says, this is Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and supplication, um, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Do you hear all the action in there? Pray, supplication, thanksgiving. By the way, supplication is the action of asking or begging for something earnestly and humbly. For those of you who want to know. Um, you hear all that action? And all this action is based on confidence in God. What are you thinking about? What are you putting your brain forward thinking about? We can go ahead and thank God because he always gives us what we would have asked for if we'd known everything he knows. God will never withhold any good thing from you. Good meaning ultimately good. Okay. Um, Psalm 3, 
Verse 3 says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, the gl- my glory and the lifter of my head. Um, I did a little research on this one time. You know, the type of shield David's referring to here is a big one. This thing is, is tall and it's curved. Okay? They had other shields that were more like a small thing that you did a little hand-to-hand fighting with. But, but the shield he's talking about, he says, thou, thou, thou art a shield about me. This is the kind of shield where you advance against a wall. Okay? And it's, it's, it, it covers your whole body on the front side. But it's only effective when you're moving forward. Man, you toss that, you run with that thing this way, you're toast. The <laughs> uh, same thing is in, in Ephesians when Paul talks about the armor of God. Those are not backward moving weapons. It's all about moving forward. Now, this is, the, this is the more active part. This is kind of where therapy and counseling occurs, you know, from my point of view in my office. Um, as we take back some of the areas that anxiety has stolen, Okay. So, you know, fancy words like relaxation and desensitization and exposure and cognitive restructuring and all that fun stuff. That's what I spend a lot of time doing in my office. But um, those techniques are worthless without the underpinnings of truth about God. They're worthless. I can teach you to breathe and relax all day long. But if you believe that that microphone is an intruder and you really believe that, then your breathing techniques won't work. You got to have truth. Okay, in conclusion, oh, I'm doing good. In conclusion, uh, Philippians 4, 11 through 13, Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content. I've learned the secret of being at peace, which is the opposite of anxiety, remember? In every and any situation. Well, what is this secret, Paul? Come on, bro, give me the secret. Well, Paul's peace is not just the absence of anxiety, okay? It's the presence of God himself. Um, Somebody famous said that safety is not the absence of danger. It's the presence of God. So you can be in a lion's den and be completely safe. Or you could be sitting in a church and be completely unsafe. Peace is not the absence of anxiety. It's the presence of God himself. So what does that mean? Well... Paul's saying we can have peace even in the midst of difficult situations if we remain in the presence of the Almighty God. So Christian peace is not just removing danger or negative thoughts. It's some of that, but instead Christian peace is based on trusting and believing in the truths about God. And this empowers a Christian through their anxiety and suffering and turmoil and not just to avoid it. Okay. So in recap... Um, you know, we talk. We know what anxiety is now, um, and uh, and what is different than fear is different than worry. And we know that the four things would be the, the key steps to. I want you to remember, remembering who God is, truths about God, who I am, what's my identity placed in. Okay, um, I don't want any case of identity theft just because you take away my car or my credit card. Um, I want to get my focus off of myself and onto other people. That's a behavioral thing, okay? And then I want to move forward. That's also behavioral. But the behavioral things are, can, are key on the cognitive thing, the truth. Okay. Uh, let me pray for us real quick. And then if anybody has any particular questions, um, or you know, maybe we'll have time for that. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Thank you that we can talk about brokenness uh, in a church. Lord, thank you that... Because of Christ, we're free. We've been set free. 
Lord, we want to walk in that freedom. Lord, we want, uh, we want you to, to make your attributes clear to us, Lord. Help us focus on that. Help us, help us be free of the pain and the anxiety and the depression so that we can actually reach out and love other people. Lord, I pray that some things I've said today would be clear. Thank you for being here with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.